In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Tonight, we will study Psalm 27. So I want you to turn your Bible to Psalm 27. Psalm 27. And by the way, this Psalm, we uh, pray it in the first hour of the Agbayah. Psalm 27. We pray it every day in the first hour of the Agbay. The title of this psalm is a psalm of David, meaning the author of the psalm is David the prophet. And according to the Septuagint translation, the title of the psalm of David himself before he was anointed. Before he was anointed. And as we know, David had received the royal anointments three times. Three times. First time in Bethlehem from the hand of Samuel in the house of his father Jesse when he was young. As we read it in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 13. The second time He was anointed at Hebron after the death of King Saul by men of Judah, uh, as we read in 2 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 4. And the third time he was anointed by the elders of Israel at Hebron also, when he was acknowledged a king over all the tribes of Israel. 2 Samuel chapter 5 verse 3. So the first time by King Saul during the life of, uh, sorry, first time by the hand of Samuel the prophet while King Saul is still alive. Second time he was anointed a king over Judah only after the death of King Saul. Third time he was anointed a king over all the tribes of Israel. It is not known because the Septuagint said he composed this psalm before he was anointed. It is, what, it is not known exactly at which of these three anointings the psalm was written or before which one. There are different opinions, uh, but almost most of the opinions say it is not written before the first anointing. Maybe before the second time when he was in exile because of Saul's persecution and uh, since David all his life had many tribulations and hardships it is impossible to state which period of his life he composed this psalm. Some commentators say it is a psalm belonging to the captivity. Others say it was written by David after he had been in danger of losing his life by the hand of uh, a Philistine. And, uh, but God rescued him through Abishai. The story, you can read it in 2 Samuel chapter 21 and verse 17. Others say this psalm was written at the time of 
Epsilon Rebellions, Epsilon his son. Anyway, this psalm speaks of trouble from enemies, adversaries, false witnesses, and violent men. But this was true of many periods of King David's life. This psalm is a short psalm, only 14 verses, and we can actually divide it into four parts. First part, from verse 1 to 3, David's sure confidence in God. Second part, from 4 to 6, David's desire for God's presence and his blessings. From 7 to 13, a prayer by Prophet David. Last verse 14, David exhorts others to trust in God. So let's start from verse 1. He said, The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? God to David is the source of light. He guides him and he leads him. And that's why when the sun rises every day in the morning, we remember this word, the Lord is my light. That's why we pray this psalm in the first hour of Agbayim. Like many other psalms, David wrote this psalm from a time of trouble. Yet you can see here, it is a song of strong confidence and triumph. David was not in darkness or ultimate pearl because the Lord was his light and salvation. So he was not in darkness even in the midst of all the troubles. Darkness is a symbol of distress, trouble, perplexity, and sorrow. Light, on the other hand, is a symbol of the opposite of these things. God provided David such light that these troubles disappeared and his way in the midst of all these troubles was bright and happy. The same God can do for all of us when we walk in his light. Also, it is the light of redemption in contrast to the darkness of condemnation. David here is teaching us a lesson. We should not fear the powers of darkness because the Lord our light destroyed them. He is our light and he is also our salvation. Probably by salvation here he meant he rescued, God rescued him in the immediate sense and also in the ultimate sense as a prophecy for the salvation that is fulfilled by the Lord Jesus Christ. Also, God rescued David several times, and God will do so to all of us until eternity. David was a skilled, experienced warrior and must have been a man of impressive physical strength. 
But nevertheless, he called God the strength of his life. And since God is his light, his salvation, his strength, there is no reason to fear or to be afraid. As we read in Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who can be against us? And the purpose of repetition is to make his point. He repeated, whom shall I fear? Whom shall I be afraid? In the same verse. So the repetition here to make his point. St. Augustine says, The Lord will give me both knowledge of himself and salvation, the light, enlightenment to know him, and also salvation. Then St. Augustine is saying, who shall, who shall take me from God? The Lord is the protector of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The Lord will repel all the assaults and snares of my enemies. So of no man I shall be afraid. Verse 2. When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. So David in verse 2 remembered how God had proven reliable in the past. There were times when the wicked or even an army came against David. Yet God still showed that he is David's life, light. He is his salvation and his strength. Goliath said to David, I will make the birds of the air to feed on you. But God protected David. That's why David was confident. Uh, even uh, in the anticipation of, of attacks in the future by his enemies, he actually very confident that his enemies will be ashamed. To eat up my flesh means when his enemies wished to devour him at once or to destroy his life or to strip him from his substance. The Lord put stumbling blocks in their ways and hindered them from executing their plans. And this also can be a prophecy about the Lord Jesus Christ in Gethsemane. When the soldiers came to arrest the Lord, once the Lord said, Whom you are seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. So he replied, I am he. All the soldiers went backward and fell to the ground. Some fathers see a far deeper mystery in the verse, When the wicked eat up my flesh, came to eat up my flesh. So he's saying, it is about Jesus Christ, the Immaculate Lamb, whose body is food indeed, and whose blood is drink indeed. So when the wicked, the people who are not repentant, 
come to eat up my flesh at the altar, when they come unworthily, they will stumble and fill. As St. Paul said, he who eats the body of the Lord unworthily will be condemned. So this was the base of their iniquities. But David said, my heart will not tremble, uh, tremble. I will not fear that there is anything to be afraid of. Verse 3, Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. So if a whole army against him, his heart will not be afraid. Because God has shown himself superior to the power of hostile armies. David is so confident in God's protection, even if he is alone and surrounded by an army, his heart shall not fear, because he is in the hand of God. And while he is in the hand of God, he is safe. Likewise, we should not be afraid. Though there is a war against us, either from the power of darkness or the war that is within me between the spirit and flesh, but I shall not be afraid. Though we are fighting with Satan and his principalities, and powers, but who are confident of victory, who are more than victorious through Jesus Christ who has loved us. St. Augustine says, the emperor is protected by his guards and he is safe. Emperor is mortal and he is shielded by mortal, but he feels secure. How come when God the immortal defends us a mortal, how come we tremble? We should not tremble. There is a story about St. Anthony, the father of monks. After a strange physical attack by the devils and the demons, and God allowed uh, St. Anthony to go through this for refining and purification. But St. Anthony remained victorious. And although he was very exhausted from the physical attack, he prostrated himself to the ground and St. Anthony chanted, Though there rose war against me, yet I will put my trust in God. Though there rose up war against me, yet I will put my trust in God. Verse 4. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. 
If I ask you to ask one thing from the Lord, what would that be? For David, one thing that he desired from God is to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. Why? The experience of goodness and greatness of God made David think about how wonderful it is to seek him and to experience his presence in his house all the days of his life. For David, the service of God upon earth is not tiring. He was not bored, nor did he anticipate that he would ever become weary of praising God. David knew there was beauty in the nature and presence of God. Beauty that could be perceived by the eyes of faith. That's why he said that I may behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. David could think of no greater occupation than to fill his mind and heart with the goodness and greatness of God. And he said to inquire in his temple, to inquire in God's presence. So David here went from the state of contemplation to the state of inquiry. Inquiry means he wanted to know more of God and more of his ways. And he wanted this not for just one hour or one day per week. He said, all the days of my life, I will never cease. God, in Luke chapter 18, verse 1, he told us that we always should pray and not to lose heart, not to get weary. Also, he said that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of our present life. While here we are struggling against sin in the church militant here on earth. But also, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord eternally, forever and ever, in the church victorious when we go to the paradise of joy. So, how can a person be prepared for eternal life if he finds the worship of God on earth is boring? How he can prepare himself for the eternal life? And David gave us a good reason why he had desire to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. In verse 5, he gives us the answer. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. So, 
this verse explained to us why he wanted to stay in the house of the Lord. Because he knew there was a special blessing and protection for the one who earnestly seek God and his presence. This promise is not promise that we will have no troubles. No. But it's a promise to give us security and blessing in the midst of trouble. God will hide me in his pavilion or in his secret place. The tabernacle refers to the most holy place of the tabernacle called the secret place as we read it in Ezekiel chapter 7 verse 22. And the tabernacle is a type of Christ, a symbol of Christ. You know when Christ told them, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days? So Christ is the hiding place of his people. When we run to him, he will shelter us under his wings. In, in, in God's hand, our life is hid, hidden. And he, there in him, we will feel safe and secure. St. Augustine says the tabernacle or the pavilion refers to the incarnation of the Son of God because the Son emptied himself and hid his deity, his divinity, in, in the body to complete the salvation work by the cross and also to let us hide in him, hide in Christ from the arrows of the enemy and the reproach of sin. Also, Hilary, the Bishop of Poitiers, said, The pavilion of Christ in which he hides me is his body, resurrected from death, in which by dwelling in it, I am protected against my corrupt nature, as it is written, On that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. So, when we eat his body and drink his blood, we are hidden in him. And by being hidden in him, he protects me from my corrupted nature because he is without corruption. Then David, at the end of this verse, he said, He shall set me high upon a rock. High upon the rock where David would be above and out of the reach of his enemies. That's the meaning of it. But what is this rock? The rock is the living faith. It is the foundation of the church, as the Lord said to Peter, upon this rock, the faith, I will build my church. Also, the rock is Christ, as St. Paul said in his first letter to Corinthians, the rock is Christ. Christ is higher than the kings of the earth, than the angels of heaven, than heaven themselves. That's why Christ is the highest rock. Also Christ is the rock because he is our shelter and safety. He is the strong tower, a place of defense and a rock of refuge. 
Also, Christ is our rock because of his firmness, solidity, and strength. He was able to bear the whole weight of every believer laid upon him. Christ is the rock because he is immovable, more than any rock or mountain. So those who are set upon him are safe and secure. Verse 6, And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. In affliction, a person bows down his head and in prosperity, he lifts up his head. So this verse expresses the confident expectation that David would be enabled to triumph over all his enemies. His head will be above all his enemies. And as a result of this, David will offer sacrifices of praise to God, his greatest deliverer. David did not anticipate protection only, but victory. God will complete his work. God will not stop at protecting us, but will give us victory. David's life was filled with celebration and gratitude for all what God had done for him. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. He would sing praises to the Lord who blessed him with his presence and rescued him so often. Some father said, my head shall be lifted up is by freeing our hearts from earthly affection, by bestowing on us divine knowledge, and by kindling in us the love of heavenly things. So when our heart is free from earthly attachment and our mind is set on heavenly things, that what he meant by my head shall be lifted up from earthly to heavenly. But who is the head? The head is Christ. So he lifts up my head. Then he lifts up Christ, who is our true head. Because Christ was lifted up on the cross as if it is his throne. In reality, it was his throne. That when we are suffering from our enemies, our head, Christ, who was crucified for us, actually, he will make our suffering and our pains, his suffering and his pain. St. Augustine said, our head, Christ, being already there, we, his members, ought to be with him now, in thought and desire, and hereafter, in joyful reality. So he's saying Christ is suffering on the cross. We will be with him, and when we suffer with him, we'll be glorified in him in eternity. Verse 7, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, 
have mercy also upon me and answer me. So maybe after we read the past six verses, we feel that we are so confident in God, so there is no struggle, spiritual struggle, either with ourselves or God. But David, although he sought God with such passion and he was so confident in the victory, but for some time he was attacked that God maybe did not hear him immediately. That's why in verse 7 he said, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy upon me and answer me. Which means, yes, David had assurance of the divine help and knows that God God is ready to help him. He did not doubt that. But uh, it did not prevent him from calling upon God for support which he needed. And at the moment that he felt God is hiding from him, He told him, hear my cry, O Lord, hear my cry. So these troubles did not actually prevent David from crying, rather it motivated David to cry to the Lord. He said, have mercy also upon me. Mercy is the hope of sinners and the shelter of safety to the believers. Verse 8, when you said, when God said to us, seek my face, so David is saying to God, when you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. So God invited David and all of us to seek him, seek my face. Yet there was a sense in which David felt that God is hiding from him. That's why he said, do not hide your face from me. Verse 9, do not hide your face from me. Verse 9. He said to the Lord, you said to me, seek my face. In reply to this, my heart said to you, your face I will seek. Why my heart? Because the heart speaks alone to God. The heart is the instrument and the tongue which speaks to God. So, as we understand the tongues of others, God understands the language of our heart. And God pays no attention to the words of tongue if these words did not come from our heart. As he said, these people serve me with their lips, but their hearts is far away from me. So if the heart does not speak, though our tongue may speak, but God is not concerned about this. For God, you did not say one word if your heart is not speaking.
David, in spite of his disappointment, sought God more diligently and desperately. Although he perceived that God is hiding, he did not give up or fall in despair. He said, do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me, nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. So David used God's best help as a reason to ask and expect future help. He told him, you have been in the past. Verse 9, you have been my help. So I know who you are. You helped me before. Uh, that's why he expects future help from God. It would be useless, useless for David to seek the face of God if God should determine to hide his face from David. But David felt from time to time as if the face of God was hidden from him. And we see it in many other Psalms. But in most instances, most examples, God makes us feel that he is hidden from us, maybe as a rebuke that our heart may turn in more sincerity to him. St. Augustine says, God hides his face because of our sins. But this doesn't mean that God is forsaking us in anger. He might hide his face from my sins, but he would never hide his face from me as a person. He may, might, he may hide his face from my sins, but never will hide his face from me as a person. Also, there are other reasons why God may hide his face, not only because of our sins. It may be done in pure love, for our protection or that we may seek him more earnestly and find him more gloriously. There is a rule here. God never ever leaves a man unless man first leaves God. God will never leave us or forsake us but he will not impose himself on us. And you can see here in verse uh, 8 and 9, three times the face of God is mentioned. Seek my face, your face, O Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. And some scholars said the three times face of God is a reference to the Holy Trinity. Verse 10 when my father and mother and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. So David knew that the love and care of God goes beyond even the closest human bond. Even our, if our parents forsake us, God will never forsake us. So David did not expect his parents to forsake him. But he say, even if they did forsake him, God will not. St. Augustine 
said the father here is the devil and the mother is a corrupt nature and both of them the devil and our corrupt nature will forsake us when we earnestly seek God with our heart so when we seek God with our heart the devil will leave us and our corrupt nature will leave us also other scholars said it is a prophecy about Jesus Christ the father here refers to the Jewish nation and the mother refers to the synagogue so the Jewish nation the father and the synagogue the mother cried crucify him crucify him about the Lord Jesus Christ but the Lord the father accepted him verse 11 Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. Teach me your way, O Lord. This was a simple prayer for a life of true discipleship. Beautiful prayer when every morning we ask God, Teach me your way, O Lord. David did not want to live his way, but the Lord's way. And who is the way? It is Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. We have to strive after him in his footsteps. Teach me or enlighten me with your way. In him and by him who is the light and he is the way. He is the light and he is the way. Teach me your way, path of truth uh, for those who understand and find knowledge. We read in Isaiah 35, verse 8, A high way shall be there, and a road, and it shall be called the high way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. That is the way of the Lord. And also in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 9, they are all plain to him who understand and write to those who finds knowledge. That is the smooth way. David's enemy are at hand to swallow him up, so he's asking God's guidance. Teach me your way. St. Augustine says, direct me in the right way of its straits. For it is not enough to begin, since the enemy sees not until the end is attained. So he did not say just point to me the way, point out to me the way, but teach me the way. Take my hand throughout the way. As we say it in the divine liturgy, lead us throughout the way into your kingdom. Verse 12. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries. Their will is to destroy me. For false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. David had many adversaries, false witnesses against him, and violent men opposing him. So he asked 
in the previous verse for a smooth path. Smooth path doesn't mean an easy life, but a stable and a secure place to stand against the storm of this life. So, as if David, in his mind, these enemies are on either side of the road, waiting to get him. So David is asking God to keep him on that path, because if he gets off this way or this road, his enemies actually will devour him. His enemies are waiting on the side of the roads to deceive him and lead him out of the way as the false teachers do right now. So these enemies uh, may come upon him unexpectedly and take every advantage against him as Satan does now. He's brainwashing Uh, the mind of many people about the presence of God, about sexual immorality, etc. David is seeking after God and his knowledge of the Lord led him to this beautiful statement in verse 13. Verse 13 is a beautiful verse. I would have lost heart, I would have fallen despair, unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So, his seeking after God and his knowledge of God led him not to lose heart. David refers to the state of mind because of the efforts of his enemies to destroy him. So he said, when I see all these attacks around me, Any person would lose heart. But I did not lose heart because I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. My enemies are so numerous, mighty, terrifying. But my only support in facing my enemies is my faith in God. I was about to lose heart, but because I knew the good Lord and how he will show me his goodness, this helped me not to fall in despair. So by faith, David saved saved himself from the despair which threatened to seize him because of his enemies. He assured himself that he would experience the goodness of the Lord in some merciful interventions and deliverance. I will see the goodness of the Lord. Uh, The land of the living most probably refers to the eternal life. So maybe like the martyrs, we don't see it here, but we will see the goodness of the Lord definitely in eternal life. St. Gregory says, I don't believe that the prophet calls this earth the land of the living. On account of that, it only produces mortal things. And all what come out of it 
will eventually dissolve. But by the land of the living, David meant that land, not approached by death where there is no death, nor on which the wicked trade or evil has a place. Verse 14, which is the last verse. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Something, this is an exhortation, not to others, but to David himself. So he is reminding himself what he should do. So as if his stronger self exhort his weaker self not to despair, but rather to wait upon God. Other scholars said David is speaking to all of us, saying this verse 14 from his personal experience. So he is encouraging us to seek after God, wait on the Lord. And to take courage of him, be of good courage. He repeated the word twice, uh, the word wait twice. This particular word, word for waiting means wait eagerly, patiently, in anticipation of the Lord's intervention. Actually, the verse 14 is the sum of all the instruction in the psalm. So the lesson here is to encourage and persuade others from the experience of David to trust in the Lord, to rely on the Lord, to come to him in trouble and danger, and to wait for his intervention when all other resources fail. And across the centuries, David is speaking to all of us, telling us to be confident that there is strength in the Lord for those who seek Him and trust in Him. This profound promise is for us. The Lord is my light, my salvation, my strength. So the idea behind wait on the Lord is not passive, sitting just waiting around until the Lord does something. Yes, the Lord gives us strength, but we don't expect it to come as if he is pouring it into us when we sit passively. Wait doesn't mean to sit passively. Do your part. God will give us this salvation and this strength when we seek him. So wait means wait while you are seeking him. Wait while you are pursuing him relying on him instead of relying on our own strength. And when you seek the Lord, you will never be unsuccessful. You, fear will never attack you. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Wait for his help in doing his will. So while you are waiting, you are seeking him doing his will. St. Athanasius said, if your enemies violently attack you and become a crowd like soldiers encamped against you, looking down on you as through you were not anointed, and for this reason they want to fight, 
Don't cower in fear, but sing Psalm 27. So he said, when the enemies attack you and encamp around you and look down on you as you want to instill despair in your heart, don't be afraid, but rather sing Psalm 27. It's a psalm of encouragement to encourage us in our uh, troubles that we face in our life. This concludes Psalm 27. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.